everybody, that is Matinru Opera. I am Bo Ransdell, and this is Hero Hero Go Show. Uh, first of all, you may recall me saying on the last episode that the delays were over. That was obviously a lie. So, uh, unfortunately, life became a little too busy to continue uh, putting out shows on a regular schedule. But all that is over. It's ended. We have several episodes in the can, so the wait for each new episode should be over, and it's a race through to the final four episodes of Season 1. Again, thank you for being patient, and now let's talk about the movies. Joining me tonight is Ricky Martin. Goddamn. More. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. I've done that every time. Never love me All right. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Joining me tonight it's is Ricky right. Morgan. Uh, if I could correct myself, not not the Latino singer. Uh, instead, he is uh, one of the hosts and creators of the Hail Mean Power Hour, uh, which you can find right here on LegionPodcasts.com. He is a veritable encyclopedia of movie knowledge, uh, which we will need to chart the remote island of Battle Royale. Ricky, welcome back to the show. And as always, tell me what I left out, because you do so, so much. No, no, no. It's the other way around. You're the, you're the busy one. But besides me, uh, you know, out touring and doing living la vida loca. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, hell, man, power hour. Uh, <laughs> it's awesome, man. I like it. Uh, I used to be in Menudo, so uh, you know they kicked me out when I got too old. Sure. But sure. anyways, uh, the knowledge of the movies, I don't know, man. Uh, I know a bit. I think I can BS a lot. <laughs> so we'll see how that works out. But uh, it's great to get back on here. I love working with Bo. And uh, we're just going to have a good time. Yeah, and this is the movie for it. Um, as uh, we have discussed or uh, mentioned briefly already, the movie we will be discussing uh, is a little film from the year 2000 entitled Battle Royale. Uh, this is directed by Kinji Fukasaku. And uh, it is uh, maybe our first book adaptation that we've done on the show. Battle Royale was actually a very... Uh, very popular novel in uh, in Japan yeah. uh, that was then converted into uh, to Battle Royale. As per usual, we are going to traipse our way through the plot of, uh, of this film uh, and then uh, uh, reach some sort of conclusion about its relative worth and value. And I, you know, I guess the place to start with this movie is... Uh, is very much at the beginning with the the kind of uh, the crawl at the beginning of the film, um, which informs us that uh, Japan has uh, because of youth gone wild, and uh, and we all know how painful that can be. <laughs> that uh, yeah, just ask Kid Row, yes, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so the, the they enact what is eventually known as the BR Act. Or, or is colloquially known as that, where to keep kids in line, the government of Japan just randomly selects a class of kids and then sticks them on an island and tells them to go murder each other until there's only one left. Their own version of Highlander. <laughs> yeah, except there can only there can be only one every year, or I mean, it could be every <laughs> semester. Who knows? But um, yeah, it's. So we get this crawl, and then the next thing we see is kind of kind of the inciting event of the film, at least for the children involved, uh, in which we have um, a, a teacher um, 
and uh, a guy named uh, Katano Sensei, uh, which is just teacher, and uh, as played by uh, Takeshi Katano, uh, who pops up in. We were discussing this earlier. The, uh, he he pops up in uh, uh, Kill Bill. Is that right? Yep. And so he and Go Go as well. And Go Go. Yes. So, uh, yeah. So the at at this point, uh, we we get kind of a flashback uh, in terms of most of the events of the film, in which um, the uh, the sweet girl of the film, uh, Noriko, um, she yeah. she ends up coming to class late. Uh, and she get, doesn't she give him a gift at this point? I'm trying to remember if if, if that's uh, where the yeah. gift came from. But so she's a very sweet yeah. girl, right? She's she's a nice girl, and right. uh, but on the way out of the classroom, um, poor uh, Kitano Sensei gets stabbed as a a, a kid runs out a door and just randomly stabs him uh, as happens in high schools maybe not so much in Japan but American high schools you sure. will take a knife it is just it's a matter just part of, of it yeah yeah it, it it it's when not if and uh so uh the the knife kind of gets out, get gets out of hand and uh Nariko for her part um uh, ends up hiding the knife you know, kind of behind her back and stuff. And uh, this has apparently left a pretty bitter taste in uh, Katano Sensei's uh, mouth. Um, yeah, he's he's about ready to... He, I think he says, that's it, I'm done. So yeah. He basically hangs it up. And, and if I'm correct, and I'm, I'm trying to piece this together, the, the beginning of the movie is, is at breakneck speed, so you're trying to put all these pieces together, but because of his... That's it. I'm done. Kind of hiatus, and the fact that there's no kids in the school except a handful. There's one in his class, and uh, he walks outside and, like you said, gets shanked, and then, uh, yeah, that causes him to uh, come up with this new concept, right? Well, it, it's like he the the fix is kind of in for Class B uh, of uh, of these students, uh, which Class B is sort of the the, uh, the group, the class itself, and. Um, yeah. So yeah, he resigns, and apparently this stuck in his craw though about getting stabbed and whatnot, as it will. In fairness, like you, you remember sure. the people who stabbed you. And right. <laughs> a year later, <laughs> uh, the kids from uh, class three B, uh, now in a different grade level, but they're still class three B. Um, they end up on a field trip, and. <laughs> Come on, everybody, get on the bus. Yeah, get on the bus. We're going to have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's pretty great because we have all these kids kind of milling around. We see a little bit of – it's actually very sharply done where you, you kind of see the cliques and the relationships between the kids, and there's a ton of them. And I might reference here the uh, the, the episode of Hail Ming Power Hour we did where we talked about Excalibur. And one of the right. statements you had made during that time is, hey, the first time you watch this movie, just let it wash over you. Um, and I think Battle Royale right. is kind of the same thing because there are so many characters and there are so many, like, you know, this girl likes this guy, but he likes this other girl. And then here's this click of the mean girls and they don't like this girl and 
all, all that kind of stuff. So it can be a little daunting and a little confusing. Um, but um, upon yes. subsequent viewings, I think that becomes a lot more clear, much like Excalibur. Um, and that's kind well, of... you even you are you you even start picking up on some of the humor in it that you didn't really notice was humor the first time around, and and uh, it's it's just re- really well done as far as that aspect goes. And yeah, you just kind of have to let it run its course, go back and, re- and revisit it because you're not going to put all the pieces together the first time around. There's too many people running around, too many he said he said she said stuff, and and uh, you know they're teenagers acting super teenagery. <laughs> yep, yep, and. Uh, yeah, uh, the the game point is you know never mind all the relationships who's who. Let's just get it on. So yes, and get it on they do, uh, because uh, <laughs> while they're on the bus, um, everybody passes out, um, and we we get one image of of one of the younger kids, one of the boys, uh, waking up to see uh, a woman in. Sort of a Navy uniform, uh, or an Air Force, a jaunty Air Force cat, maybe, but military. Kind of looked uh, lavender to me. It was kind of a, but yeah, yeah, very military looking. Yeah, well, it's pastel military. You know, it's it's for the modern age, and (laughs) (laughs) so so uh, she notices that this kid is not passed out from uh, the gas like everyone else, and she's wearing the gas mask. Uh, so she just whacks him in the skull and knocks him out, and then everyone comes to in uh, in a big briefing room where uh, Katano Sensei reappears, and along with a bunch of military folk uh, with guns, and lays out the situation for him. and And go ahead, d- describe the rules of battle royale for us because. They they are simple. It's it's like uh, the game Othello. It's a minute to learn. It's a lifetime to master. Uh, so what are, what are our rules? In <laughs> uh, <and> so many, <laughs> you've got three days to kill everybody. And there's danger zones that if you're caught in at a certain time, there's a necklace around your neck that will blow your head off. And uh, you get a bag of supplies, which consists of some food. Some uh, tools, and then a weapon, and you just run out the door when your name is called and knock everybody out. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, and- <laughs> but it's done in the best way because I mean the the little lady on the TV that's all animated. It's almost like you're watching a, a kids show as it is describing the rules to these people. It is so, you know, macabre as far as what's going on and. <laughs> She's just as happy and cheery as can be. Right, yeah, get out there and fight right, you know, that kind of stuff. And, yeah, and, and one point about the bag o stuff that you are given, um, yes, you get a weapon, but it can be total crap. <laughs> like, you know, one, one guy gets a fan, someone has a pair of binoculars, the lid of a pot, and, and you know, there's cool stuff, right. too. There are crossbows and guns and axes and stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean... You could really get the short end of the uh, murder weapon stick on this pretty quickly, <laughs> and but yeah, the video is pretty remarkable. It it reminds me a lot of uh, Tokyo Gore Police and the the uh, right sort of dispatcher in Tokyo Gore Police. Uh, it it it's kind of a riff on that, um, right? 
And, but like you said, it, it, like she's almost an animated character, even as she's saying like, Hey, by the way, these collars that are around your neck, they'll blow up if you leave the area or if you end up in one of these danger zones or if three days pass, we're just going to blow the front of your neck out. And right. we, which we get to see in this opening scene, like to battle Royale's credit. And we, we haven't said it yet, but this movie is rocking. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> this movie yeah. is is just kind of action from beginning to end although it like right. i would argue that it doesn't necessarily there are no peak moments of action it's just this steady baseline of every scene shit is going down right you're you're thrown into a situation and it just goes and right at the point of where we're talking about right now cuz here's where the 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 realization of what's going on is just hitting these kids between the eyes and then when their teacher stands up and sees a couple of them whispering and he throws the knife <laughs> yeah. and kills the student i said no whispering right yeah. and uh that's when it got real that's when it got real <laughs> well and then there's... and then you start the stats yeah because you know we've seen a lot of movies since then that will give little you know information at the bottom of the screen kind of keeping tabs on what's going on uh, this may be the first one I've ever seen that really did that and uh you know so the countdown started <laughs> as soon as that knife was thrown and yeah. uh, that's that's pretty ingenious for the time yeah i think we start with 38 kids i think is the number that we begin with and yeah it just ticks down it's like boy number yeah. number seven you know shoya not him he survives for a right. while but but yeah, it, it's, yeah, like you said, it's just the quick stat. It, it like, it's like seeing Larry Bird's assist numbers or something. And I have to go back that right, because right. I'm just not a sports fan. Um, I don't know real basketball <laughs> players' names anymore. But yeah, so there's, uh, so it's, um, uh, Yoshitoki, who is Shoya's best friend. And these names are going to be meaningless right. uh, unless you've seen the movie a number of times or you use this as your Cliff's Notes. But so uh, uh, Shuya and Yoshitoki are buddies. And there's a, a little bit of a flashback where they're talking about like who likes who and they've kind of got a crush on the same girl and blah, blah, blah. And so this right. kid is like just loses his nut for a minute. And it's like, I'm not doing this. And... Uh, they're like, okay, well, we're going to show you how these collars work. So everybody gets a good look at that and sets the timer on the collar, which is just, you know, this red flashing light that just increases in, uh, in speed right. uh, until it, you know, a little mini bomb explodes and it doesn't take his whole head off. It just takes his entire throat out. Yeah. It just blows the throat out. It's very, uh, I always, I think of snake Pliskin when I, when I see this, cause it's kind of the same idea you know the clock is ticking and, and yeah so it's it, it kind of gave me that kind of feel about it so i was already sold the first time i saw that just because of that fact alone <laughs> right and what was the uh what was the name of the rutger howard movie that features much the same uh, uh you know what oh, i'm talking about yeah yeah they did have necklaces yeah yeah it's like no my is it no escape something like that anyway. i think that's right i think that's right it's uh, not blind fury but they came out about close to the same time maybe yeah. no yeah are you like are you like me in that when you refer to Rutger Hauer's character in Blind Fury, you just call him <laughs> Blind Fury? Right. <laughs> That's what he is, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, it's kind of a, a, a take on the, you know, Blind Swordsman, uh, right. Sato Aichi, but he's Blind Fury. Uh, right. 
I don't know what his real name is. It could be, you know, John Fury, probably. Um, and I have it just a, happened to be blind. I have a problem just calling him anything besides Rutger Hauer, because to me, he kind of plays Rutger Hauer no matter what movie he's in, so... Yeah, that's true. Like, whether he's uh, in Blade Runner or The Hitcher, right. it's still the same kind of crazy person. Hobo with a shotgun. Is, he's just, a, <laughs> yes. just an older one, you know, yeah. so he's awesome. Yes, Anyways. He is. <laughs> that's our Rutger Hauer moment for the episode. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so this poor kid gets his throat uh, blown out, and then... Uh, all the kids freak out and try to run for the exits, and the soldiers cut them off. And uh, right. and finally, r- order is restored long enough to be like, all right, let's do this. Um, I'm going to call your name. You're going to say you're here. And we're going to hand you your bag of o- supplies right. for this survival experience. And also, for the setup for this, too, you've also got two other characters that are not in the class that are in the back of the room. Right, you've got uh, Kawada, um, and oh, what is the other kid's name? I can't believe I. Well, here's how I kept up with them, and for you sorry, folks at home, go ahead. I'm sorry. For you folks at home, this is the way I deal with stuff like this when I just can't keep up all the names. So, Kawada to me, I just said he's the Japanese John Kuzak. <laughs> yeah, he he kind of has that hot pursuit uh, right. outfit on. Okay, I'm and like, then the other then the other one I said was just Japanese Heath Ledger. Oh, that's good. <laughs> He's got the anime hair. It's the right. it's the crazy like all his hair is just kind of standing up in all directions kind of hair. Like right. he could be in Guitar Wolf. Absolutely. So Absolutely. and might have been. I can't, I can't say he wasn't. Right. Um. Yeah. These two guys are in the in this meeting for the nobody knows why. You just notice that there are people that were not in their class. So and there's backstory of why they're there, but at this point nobody knows. Right. And and they but they both got to look like. These are the pros. Like, they look right. older and more prepared than anybody else in this room. Yeah, they're not freaking out. They're just kind of chilling in the back of the room, ready to go. Right. Yeah, like, the, the motor's just idling. It's it's ready to roll. Um, and it, it's pretty great. Yeah. So, so the kids are essentially ejected out of this room and onto the island with their bags. Um, we get a pretty sweet crossbow death right off the bat. Yeah, Shuya gets shot through the neck. Not show you. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, no, it's Tendo. Uh, Tendo. Yeah. Um, and and doesn't realize what's happening at first, and which is always my favorite death is when somebody is like, "There's another one later when a kid gets brained with an axe." Right. And his last words are, "I'm fine." Yeah. And I love that in movies where somebody's like, "No, no, no, it's cool, it's cool. I'm, I'll be all right." And then they're dead three seconds later. Love it's casual. Yeah, right. <laughs> no big deal. No big. Uh, look. I, it's a weird question. Do I have an axe sticking out of my head? Just <laughs> you don't even have to answer out loud. Just give me a nod and then just thump. Kind of tingling over here on this side. <laughs> right, really I, making out. Just kind of a tingle. <laughs> I, I get a tingle, and also everything smells like purple. <laughs> and I forgot how to multiply. So I'm thinking maybe there's some brain trauma. Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, some of the kids kill themselves. Right. Well, you got the the boy that had the the, the crossbow ends up getting killed by his own weapon. Uh, the guy. Right. Up. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, because the the pros are already amassing weapons. Like they right. know the game that 
you know, you, you kill the easy prey quickly, get their shit, and then you move on to see what else happens. Right. Um, and guys at home, I mean, again, this is like, this is like commentary for a wrestling match because so much is going on. I know we're going to miss a thing here or there, but uh, just 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 stick in there because there's a lot of crap. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because you're right; it's like a wrestling match. It's like you know, and here's Kiriyama with the shotgun. <laughs> um, yeah, like no one saw this coming. Here, you know, here's the fat kid with a, a, right, right, a, a bulletproof vest. Uh, you know, it's just <laughs> it's so good. It um, is. So yeah, so Kiriyama and. Uh, uh, Kadawa, who are the, the pros, kind of take off like, and in fact, it's, uh, is a Kiriyama who trades in his bag is like, no, 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 this yeah. is fucked up. Give me another. I got the wrong bag. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, anyway, so we've got our initial first test and, and they chart every, um, six hours, essentially. Right. They are giving you the stats. So the first six hours, 12 people, done. Right. We don't see all of those, but we see a fair amount. And like I said, there were some suicides mixed in there. Um, You know, some of the kids who were just like, you know what? I'm going to die anyway. I might as well just take care of this myself. Uh, Right. You get get some guys that try to group together and be a team, and they they get around the Heath Ledger-looking guy. (laughs) Dude, just waste all five of them right there on the spot and takes their weapons, you know. So it's 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 just you can't keep up with it. You got the girl with the taser that's that's you know going around and trying to use that as a weapon. It's just everybody's oh, running amok, man. And she ends up taking that off of another girl because that's that's uh, Mitsuko or Mitsuko uh, yeah. shortened. You know when you when in Japanese they'll contract common uh, common sounds, so it's Mitsuko. But Mitsuko um, ends up killing a girl. But with like the girl has a taser, Mitsuko has a gun, and uh, she ends up killing the girl and taking her taser. Yeah, so yeah. she's now rolling with two weapons, and she is cold in this. She, movie. yeah, yeah, she's she's all about the business, man. Yeah, she's like, I am getting off this island, and yeah. I don't care who I got to kill to do it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and Kiriyama is m- more so than Kadawa, like. We'll get to that in a second, but Kiriyama, we see, take down some people pretty quick. And he's got an Uzi, which is super helpful in a survival game on an island. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, if, if, you can, if you can roll with an Uzi, you're going to do okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you, at least, you at least have a step up. And um, Kawada ends up hooking up with uh, Shuya and, and Nariko. Right. And he, you know, he tells him the story about, like, hey, you know, I've, I've done this before. There was a girl that I was in love with. We were on the island together. Uh, her name is Keiko. And uh, it ended up where they had killed everyone else or everyone else had killed each other or whatever. But Keiko and Kawada are the last two standing. And um, kind of out of nowhere, Keiko shoots him. Yeah. But in self-defense... Kawada shoots her up a bunch more. Yeah. And he ends up surviving. She dies in his arms. And there's the, a, a moment, you know, the, as he's telling this story, he's like, yeah, she, she smiled at me and said, you know, arigato, thank you. 
at the end of her life. And he was like, I can't, I can't figure out what, why she was thanking me. You know, yeah. I just killed her. She's dying in my arms and her, she smiles and says, thank you. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of his motivation in this story. Right. So yeah. since we're talking about kind of flashbacks with all this stuff, <laughs> I will I just wanted to throw this in there because it's one of my favorite scenes. But you go through the whole ordeal, the whole ordeal about the cookies, right? You know, they're on the bus, and she's the girls made the cookies, and she actually made them for uh, uh, Shuya. And uh, he never gets them. Matter of fact, he goes up and tries to get them. That's when a woman clubs him in the head. That's you know the <laughs> right. military officer. But I love the fact that they're out there, and the girl even asks him, "Dude, you, what happened to those cookies?" And then they show they show the teacher back. <laughs> Back at headquarters, and he's laying on the couch, and he's just eating those cookies. Like, mm, these are really good. <laughs> Another thing, while we're talking about this, uh, that I dearly love is the fact that he get, he keeps getting phone calls from his wife. Yeah. <laughs> which great. I think it, it, it's really funny, and it also shows that this character has just lost any sense of propriety or obligation or anything. Like, he doesn't ever seem to expect to leave this island. Um, and... But it's great when he's like, I can't talk right now. Uh, right. We're killing children. And that's what I mean. You know, when you're when you're going through this, you're trying to take in all the stuff that's going on, and you kind of miss a lot of the humor till you go back and revisit it, and you see where the what these things are. Because you're just trying to make heads or tail of what's happening. But when you go back and actually can keep up with the story, it's, you know, the way that the kids interact with each other, even though they're out there killing each other, it's all, you never said you liked me, or, you know, it's all these teenage yeah, why didn't you tell me you loved me? You never yeah. spoke to me. I, I'm sorry I shot you right in the chest. Yeah, you never would sit with me close to you know, close in class or anything. It's just the most ridiculous dialogue when it comes to that stuff. Cause, you know, but that's what makes it fun. Well, and it's also worth noting, I don't know that I'd ever seen a movie like this. And, and you know, now we live in a world where there are the Hunger Games. We'll talk about that later. But Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll I, I figure <laughs> the elephant in the room, we'll get to it. Right, we'll, we'll get there. Don't worry, listeners, we'll get there. Um, so, this is a movie all about high school children murdering each other horribly. And it, it, it's not overly graphic. But man, there are some moments where you just see like three three young girls get shot up with an Uzi, and that's just the end of them. Right, and it's really harrowing. Like, and you know, as much as this movie is kind of fun in the way that something like Escape from New York is probably a good example yeah. um, of it's just this weird premise that, uh, or you know, kind of a high concept premise, and it's executed with as much nihilism as possible. And that's sort of battle royale is this, this story of, Hey, the government thinks that kids have gone too crazy with all their truancy and disrespect and whatnot. So we're going to have them all murder each other to serve as an example to the other kids. And like I said, I, I really feel like you get the sense that it's supposed to be a random selection, but it kind of feels like, you know, uh, Katano was pushing for class three B to get on oh, this yeah. list. Uh, without a doubt. Yeah. yeah. He is, he is, uh, whatever the opposite of nonplussed is, he is plussed. He is super plussed about yeah. the fact that he was stabbed. Um, so, uh, in addition to, all right, so we've got, uh, Shuya and, uh, Noriko and, and, uh, Kadawa are, are kind of a trio. That's one of our main trios. Right. And that's, you know, the guy whose, whose girlfriend had been there 
and and the two young lovebirds who are just trying to survive. And, and Noriko has gotten sick. So when they when they yeah. really cross paths, she's sick. He tries to find medical supplies, and they run back into him again. He's he's holed up in some kind of medical little hospital or whatever it was on the island, and he kind of takes them in and lets them get some supplies, and they kind of they make friends. They <laughs> they do. They become BFFs, all three of them. Um, meanwhile, and and then we've got our kind of wild cards of of Mitsuko, the chick with the taser and gun, and um. Uh, why do I keep forgetting? Kiri, Kiriawa. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> I, I have to keep looking at my notes because that, that name in particular throws me. Yeah, Kiriyama. Right. So, uh, they're the kind of wild cards just loose on the island, murdering every fool they run across. And then we have the hackers of the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is uh, a kid named Shinji Mamura, um, who, wants to hack into the computer system running the game that's monitoring all of them. And they kind of figure out, like, okay, there are microphones in the collars, and that's how they're listening to us and know what we're doing. Um, and they decide that they're basically going to do kind of a B for Vendetta move, right. which is we're going to build, build a shit ton of bombs. And hack the network, take it down, and then blow it up, and then we're all going to get off the island. Right. Um, so that's going on, and they, like everybody's hunting for bomb-making supplies and stuff, which apparently are in pretty good supply on this island because they make a shit ton of explosives. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, it, it's just a little factory going on there, a little, little assembly line. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, that, so those are kind of our key groups as we know them for the first half of the movie. Really. <laughs> and, and then we get to my favorite group, which is, okay. So there's a bit of a throwdown, um, where, uh, the, the house that they're in or the, the clinic that they're holed up in ends right. up getting assaulted. Right. And, and they're like, okay, we're going to meet at this location if we get separated. But right now we got to, we got to get, get the hell out of here. We got to, right. got to be feet. Yeah, because because crazy uh, Japanese Heath Ledger Kiriyama, is, yes. is, is killing people all around there, and then he finds out there's somebody inside of there. So I've got it wrote down in my notes. You've heard of hand grenades? He throws a head grenade. <laughs> he does indeed, and it's glorious. <laughs> he basically has a decapitated head from somebody he's killed. He shoves a grenade in her mouth and chunks it through the window. Yeah, I I think it's safe to say that uh, Kiriyama is unstable yeah and probably not fit for society like we we come to understand why kadawa is on the island why he's come back to participate again yeah in the you know second annual hunger games um we we don't understand initially why uh kiriawa is there and then it just seems like he volunteered because he's a crazy person <laughs> right yeah. He he just wants to have, like his own island of purging, <laughs> and I, I think that maybe what made me think of Heath Ledger. It's almost like him being almost like the Joker character to some degree because he's just, yep, I just want to kill a bunch of people. Let's go. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to, what to do if I caught Katana Sensei. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 
That's that's the worst Heath Ledger impression as the Joker you will ever hear in your life. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but all right. So during this this combat, like uh, Kadawa and uh, Nariko, um, like Kadawa is going to keep her safe. Uh, Shuya ends up taking off and uh, <laughs> and and being followed by uh, Kiriawa. And he jumps into the water, like, you know, it's an island, but it's a Japanese island, so it's not like sunny beaches, it's, you know, cliffs and stuff. Um, so he ends up going off the cliff into the water, uh, in maybe the most unfortunate special effects sequence of the film. <laughs> and like, because a lot of the special effects are fantastic. They really movie. are, yeah. There's a lot of practical effects, there's some fun explosions, people are getting crossbows in the neck. Uh, and all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, he shoots at the water with his Uzi and, and man, those computerized gun splashes, our bullet <laughs> splashes are just no good. Uh, yeah. but, uh, so Shuya ends up waking up. And as I said, this is my favorite group it's, of yeah, kids. It's incredible. It, oh, it's, it's so the best. Um, so what, I'll tell you what, we both love it, but you're the guest. You describe what happens here. Well, he, he like I said, he he wakes up and I believe it's a lighthouse, right? That they're in. It is, yes. Okay, so he wakes up and he's in this room and he and he's all bandaged up and there's this young girl taking care of him, and uh, she's trying to explain. Well, they you know they found him and drug him in there and been trying to take care of him and stuff. And I'm going to get this all mixed up because I'm, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing for sure. But uh, she goes back and. Uh, well, he he wakes up and she tells him like, "Hey, you know, we found you on the beach. We didn't, you know, there was some discussion about whether we want to let a boy in. And I've never, I've never touched a man. Never touched body. a man. Yeah, never yeah. touched a man. <laughs> but the the whole the whole scene, she goes back uh, downstairs, uh, either to get him some food or he said he's going to come down there later. Right, but they've got him locked in because they're like, well, we don't know if you're a crazy person or not. Right, yet, so." Yeah. Yeah, they do. They have him kind of secluded and put away, and so he can't get to anybody. And then uh, you've got the one girl that uh, is fixing his food for him, and uh, one of the girls blames him for the death of one of her friends. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it's Yuki that is the girl that is with him at the bedside, and yeah, I'm not sure who she. Thinks he mur- it's the kid with the axe, right? I right, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Because uh, you know he he didn't kill that kid, but there was an accident. Like the kid with the axe came at him. There was she a was bit st- of a scuffle. Yeah, yeah she was she in- was hiding back there, and she saw him come through with the axe in his head, and she thought that he had hit him in the head with the axe. Right, and it was so, a, a total accident as Noriko witnessed. So, and, and you've got what five girls here? Is that what it is? Yeah, and and they're just playing house. Right, right. You know, it's it's just teenage, you know, wiping down counters and trying to take care of things, you know. And uh, the one that thinks that uh, Shuya has done this, she decides she's going to poison his food. So she dumps this very, very... It, it's beyond poison. <laughs> I'm not for sure what this stuff is. Maybe it's, just acid? It's hateful eight poison. There whatever that was. With, like, within, say... Three minutes of you ingesting this stuff, you are going to be vomiting blood. Right. So she puts it on this plate, 
and thinking they're going to take it upstairs, one of the other girls comes in and decides, oh, I'm hungry. She sits down, grabs the plate, obviously. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Things get kind of squirrely. Yeah, I mean, it turns into, not to mention Tarantino in two instances here, but it turns into Reservoir Dogs. Right. Because once they realize that someone among them had, has poisoned the food, everybody's got guns pulled. Yeah. And it's just, you know, Larry, who poisoned the food? And... <laughs> And then somebody gets a little twitchy, and the guns start firing, and everybody's shooting everybody else. And and nobody knows who poisons the food, and everyone's pointing fingers. And it's not until the end that we understand that, like, oh, the girl, it was this girl who has survived a little bit longer, but only long enough to kind of confess and then get shot. And is, this is all in a kitchen area that's maybe... 10 foot by 10 foot. I mean, it's just a little bitty area that they're fighting in. It's the only place I could successfully have a gunfight because you couldn't shoot without hitting somebody. <laughs> uh, and it's pretty, pretty, pretty bloody. I mean, you got the one girl that's, that's, you know, the blood's coming out of her face and then you get just, uh, just carnage. I mean, it's just, it's, I guess because it being such a small location too, I mean, it just made it that much more, you know, destructive. So, uh, wow, what a scene, man. It's just... Yeah, it's one of the more striking scenes uh, for me in the film because it really highlights the fact that these are ostensibly just young girls. Yeah. And, I mean, circumstances being what they are, they're all heavily armed. But, you know, at the end of the day, even them shooting each other is kind of girlish, childish nonsense. Yeah. You know, it's just... Nobody is taking a second to talk about anything, but these are all a bunch of teenagers with hormones going crazy, right? And all these clicks and mistrust, and yeah, it's like it. This movie is a perfect microcosm of the high school experience, no matter what country you're from. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, like you said, it's just them reacting the way that teenagers react. They just happen to have guns in their hands. <laughs> yeah, like there might be a cat fight ordinarily. And yeah. in this case, it you know it, it becomes it was, the it last was a cat. twenty minutes of Magnificent Seven, a cat fight. <laughs> yeah, right. Not a cat fight. It's a cat fight. Well done, sir. Yeah, you know, kept me out of the really good schools. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, uh, when when um, Shoya ends up getting out of there, but not before going up to the top of the lighthouse. And screaming, what does it all mean? <laughs> and, you know, I think that it's a, it's a great moment because it's a kid who's just like, I have been shot at. I've been bandaged. I've, I've seen the aftermath of, of the cat fight, uh, <laughs> as we have christened it. And he's just like, man, what is going on? Like, how did this happen to me? Two yeah. days ago, I was at home. And, yeah, it's a great moment because it, it is the natural reaction. Like, the girls playing house. I, I love that scene because it ends so violently. It's, it's the two extremes. Yeah. You've got, you've got the super Snow White-looking, living-at-home, taking-care-of-things fairy tale kind of thing going on. Then it turns into, you know, just utter destruction of everybody's lives. Yeah, and, you know, on we'll, we'll talk about kind of the meaning of things later. But it is a great example of people trying to ignore the environment and the situation and the life that they are currently leading 
and having reality just bite him in the ass, at, right. you know, right. in a vicious and swift fashion. Yeah, um, yeah, it's great. Oh, that scene is so good. Like of many great scenes in this movie. Like we're we're skipping over things like, oh yeah, remember when you know Mitsuko used a scythe to open up a girl's <laughs> neck? That was pretty rocking too. So we're we're skipping over that to get to this scene because this scene is that good. Uh, right. Yeah. Oh man. So uh, Shuya finds his way back to um, Nariko and Kawada. And they're looking now for Mamura and his gang of hackers. Right. So, so we have kind of, kind of our two heroic teams of the film now making a beeline for one another. Well, uh, Shuya yeah. and his gang are, right. are headed for Mamura. Yeah, the other the other group has stayed at headquarters the whole time, or, or their own little place that they found, and yeah. uh, trying to hack into the system. And that's also. Well, we skipped it a while ago, but they found out that on the necklaces, there's also a microphone. Yes. So they can record all the conversations, know where they are, know what's going on. So that's part of how they know, you know, how to keep tabs on everybody. And also, if they're plotting on doing something otherwise, then all they got to do is push a button and kill them all. So uh, Big Brother is watching. Yeah. And... If the scene with the girls wasn't awesome enough, <laughs> we are now treated to Mamura and his group get the uh, their their computer virus into the system of the battle royale computers. Yeah, and uh, some apparently it's a basketball based virus, <laughs> right? Which is fine, but I mean, statistically, the Japanese are among the shortest people on earth. And I can only imagine that Japanese basketball is much like the WNBA in that it's all about fundamentals and that it's not a a slight. It is just not heavy on the dunking. (laughs) True. I'll I'll, I'll totally agree. (laughs) So I'm I'm glad you joined me on that possibly racist comment. Um, Uh, I don't think it is, but if it is, I'm sorry. So uh, I didn't mean it that way. Uh, uh, So... I saw I saw Louis C.K. last night. There are some things left over in my brain, and I can't stop them from coming. Oh, yeah. that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> so the hack goes through, and now they're like as the uh, virus takes over, the bombs are completed, and we're loading up a pickup truck. Right. With uh, what did they say? Like a hundred Molotov cocktails. Yeah, they they laid it out. It's it's just an incredible it's, amount of, of stuff, man. Three propane tanks. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like other oh, stuff won't fit in that truck, man. <laughs> yeah, right. Like everything you've described is a small Nagasaki <laughs> and it's not going to fit in that pickup. I mean, that's not one of them terrorist Toyotas. This looks like an old Chevy. Right. Um, so <laughs> you'll oh, be man. blown up by clean burning <laughs> propane. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> so they have the truck loaded up and just in time along comes Kiriawa. Yeah, here comes crazy Heath Ledger, man. <laughs> yeah. So so Japanese Joker rolls up into the scene and just starts murdering fools like he do. Oh yeah. And uh Mamura to his credit um, is like, okay, well, if I'm going to die, we're all going down together. Right. 
So, and yeah. God bless him. <laughs> <laughs> so, he sets off this truck like a Roman candle. Oh, man. <laughs> and one presumes that Kiriawa, even though we don't see it, and if you've ever seen a movie before in your life, you know he's not dead. Right. But presumably, I almost said presumptively, like that's a word. Uh, see, I wouldn't have known. I would have just went with it. So Yeah, it sounds, <laughs> it's, it's like uh, gratuitization is not a word, but it sounds legitimate. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so uh, Japanese Joker um, gets at least kicked back in the fire. We, we assume he's dead, If again, if you've never seen a movie. And... And this uh, explosion would have killed Godzilla. I mean, it's huge. <laughs> yes. Well, it might have fueled Godzilla, but it would have taken a bite out of Mothra. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm not sure of the physics behind all that completely. <laughs> That's next episode. Right. Next episode, we are going to talk about the biology of Godzilla and how, you know, it's like the old War of the Gargantuas thing of like, uh, uh, or no, it was uh, King Kong versus Godzilla. Where oh, the, yeah. God, well, we have these power lines. Godzilla feeds on the power lines, but they will kill this monkey. And uh, it's like, and well, we know, and we know that uh, King Kong likes to drink. He's an alcoholic, right? It's like, how do you know these things? And also, are those really the rules? Because <laughs> at what point has King Kong ever been introduced to electricity that you know that? Anyway, that's a, a different movie. We'll get to King Kong versus Godzilla at some point. Um. Uh, yeah, at some point in the long run of this show, eventually we will be like, and this episode is Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Yet another entry. Although that movie is pretty kick-ass. In uh, it's not a bad one, man. Godzilla versus the, the Smog Monster is one that I, I, I support because it is done in the roaring 60s. And right. man, does that movie have go-go all over it. Right, right. Um, it's not quite as bad as the Day of the Gargantuas um the, the words get stuck in my throat song. <laughs> but right. it's close. And and God bless you listeners if you followed any of that. <laughs> but you should totally watch War of the Gargantuas. It's great. Um, it, it's about a big Bigfoot looking thing that lives in the ocean and comes out and eats people in airports. It's well, fantastic. Why wouldn't it? I mean, it, that, yeah, I mean, that's that's the logic. It's how you do. If you're right. a gargantua, but there's a good gargantua and a bad gar oh, it's the best. And that's why uh, you build Jet Jaguar, and he'll take care of it, so. Yeah, it's it's weird <laughs> that in, that, you know, I mean, there's been some crossover with that stuff with some of the Godzilla movies where you have, you know, some some armored robots, not just Mecha Godzilla, but I, I think they're, uh, God, what was the, there was one where he was fighting a, a, a space robot, but anyway. Uh <laughs> This isn't about Godzilla. How do we get here? Um, I don't know. <laughs> all right. Turn into the Godzilla hour. Um, it, you know, I like to combine current information about Rutger Hauer <laughs> and completely outdated information about Toho Studios films. That, to me, is the perfect show. Um, so, so, uh, our heroes, Shuya and uh, Noriko and um, Kadawa, show up in time to see the blast, which all of the islands saw. And and it's worth right. noting at this point, they're pretty much the only people left. Everyone else has died in one form or another. And actually, Mitsuko, uh, who we mentioned uh, as our, our crazy lady, sort of the Daryl Hannah character uh, as we're continuing our Tarantino theme, 
sure. from the Kill Bill movies. She's, you know, just the cold-blooded murderess. Um, she ends up getting killed by Kiriawa. Right, which is a great one, too. Yeah. That, which, that whole scene's great. Yeah, they they duke it out. Like, they are, he headbutts her, and she's trying to taste him, and, oh, it's it's pretty fantastic. Um, so it, it was sort of the, the fight you didn't know you wanted to see in this movie. And then you're like, oh, right. The two biggest, you know, kids on the block, the two biggest bullies on the block eventually have to fight. Um, oh, this movie's so good. Rick, <laughs> I gotta tell you, I really love this movie. Yeah, uh, it's fun. <laughs> so, so there's a big explosion and then, um, our, our hero Shoya, you know, those guys show up in time to witness that, and they're like, well, son of a bitch. <laughs> what are we going to do now? And before they can really formulate a, a, a good plan, Kiriawa pops up right. with his Uzi, only now he's blind from all the blast. Right. Blood and, running out of his eyes. They're they're coated over their milky. Yeah. Ugh. Does that stop him? No. Nope. No. <laughs> Kiriawa's got some... Six, maybe even a seventh sense about where to point this Uzi. And to his credit, Kadawa has an eighth, maybe ninth sense about how to avoid bullets when he's being shot at. <laughs> and so, uh, they end up, uh, they, they end up killing him ultimately, Kiriawa. Um, and, you know, because of course they do, but it's a great, it's a great head explosion. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spoilers, his head gets shotgunned off. <laughs> and it's a pretty great, a, a pretty great cranial blast. And it's all set in the middle of this explosion just happened, so everything's on fire, so they're fighting in the fire. It's just, it's a great scene, man. Yeah, it's it's so cool. Like, when he emerges from the fire, it is one of those, like, film moments where you're like, you know what? Battle Royale, I might have had my questions about you sometime along the way, but no more. Right. You have won my heart. Yeah, uh, if you were if you were just watching the like a a trailer for this and you only saw him coming up out of the fire and you just it's like a two or three second shot there, you would just say, Yep, I gotta see it. Yeah, it's, right. It's, I'm it's, in. Yeah. It's just awesome. Alright, so we are the, the following morning, we have um, the last three survivors who are, you know, the, kind of our heroes of the movie. Shuya, um, we have Noriko, and we have Kadawa. Yeah. And at this point, you know, the system's been hacked. No, no one's watching anything because they can't. But you hear Kadawa say, like, hey, remember when I told you you shouldn't trust people? You shouldn't have trusted me. <laughs> and then you hear two gunshots. You don't see what's happened. And then we go to uh, Katano Sensei, and he and he is like, you know what? We got it. That's it. Game's over. Right. We win. And I love that scene because he goes out outside to like a track. You know, where there's like a running track or something, and he's up that little platform. He's got the little bitty jam box. Uh huh. And he's got his little exercise tape. He does basically the, the opening scene of Gung Ho. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, how bizarre. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's really great. Um, and then out of the woods, limping along, comes Kadawa. Right. And he's like, yeah, I killed them other bitches. Right. So it's like, uh, 
I like to call it, it's kind of like that 70s TV show, Welcome Back, Kawada. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but doop doop. Your, your dreams were truly your ticket out. Um, <laughs> I love that song. Anyway. Uh, so. <laughs> Anyway, it is sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, now I'm just like, you know what? Stephen Bishop should have gotten more airplay. That's that's a real crime. That's the real tragedy of, of this podcast. Isn't the movie Battle Royale? It's that. Was it Stephen Bishop who did this song? Do I have that right? Sebastian. Sebastian. Okay. Um, Stephen Bishop did the um, Animal House soundtrack. So yeah. All right. Anyway. Um, <laughs> sorry, I almost digressed yet again because yeah. I was like, speaking of John Travolta, I was watching Christine <laughs> earlier, and why does Buddy Repperton look straight up like John Travolta in that movie? Anyway, right. Uh, so, <clears throat> all right. Well, here's the end of this movie. We're we're gonna we're gonna focus. So, so uh, of course, Kadawa did not kill Shuya and Noriko. Um, and instead, uh, uh, Katano has dismissed all the other, um, the rest of the army. They're, they've fucked off. They're gone. And it's just him and Kawada. And then, uh, Shuya and Nariko show up. And everybody's armed, right? Like, Katano's got a gun. Uh, the kids have guns. And there's a bit of a standoff. And, um, for a quick flashback, Katano has clearly had an affection for Noriko. I'll At, say. <laughs> I don't I don't think it's inappropriate or anything. Like I don't think there's a sexual component, but I think I think he thinks she's a good kid and ultimately better than his daughter that he's constantly bitching about. Right. Um I don't know. Is it is it a sexual thing, do you think? Well, uh, maybe not. Not to say that it would probably lead to that. But the thing is, is I mean, just like the painting that he has over there, right, right, which we are we are coming to. But it's worth saying, like, yeah, he pulls at one point he pulls off uh, the the tarp on a painting he's been working on, and it's a picture of Noriko with kind of a halo around her, right, and then images of all the other kids murdered and Dead. hanging, <laughs> and like my, one of my favorites is a bullet going through one kid's head, and it's almost like a trivial pursuit slice of the pie of his skull coming off and like you would have to be a real twisted dude to ever paint this and especially or, as a or a five-year-old yeah, or a five-year-old who grew up in the manson family but like to show this to a young girl being like huh i love you see right. look at this painting i did and it's like you're a madman Mostly for your use of color, but also the content of this painting is disturbing. Your use of color. <laughs> so, well, you know, maybe she was majoring in art. Uh, you are ignoring your vertices. Uh, so, anyway. But yeah, so they, they're having this big showdown, and uh, Katano Sensei is like, what are you going to do, shoot me? Here, I'll shoot you first, and whips out his gun and aims it at him, and then they shoot him, but as they're shooting him, he pulls his trigger, and it's a water gun. Right. And you can kind of look at that as different ways. Like you said earlier, 
He didn't plan on going back home. Oh, no. No. And in fact, he has kind of this speech where he's like, look, I hated all you kids. My daughter's a real piece of shit, too. <laughs> the only the only person that I've ever really thought was a decent person was Noriko, who I thought of as a, the daughter I kind of wished I had. And now, how about you guys kill me? Yeah. And uh, so they do. I guess, I guess there for a second, maybe he thought it would work out where she would be the only one left. I think that was his plan, is that he's going to orchestrate this so that she's the only person left. And I don't know what that gets him. Right. Other than the the satisfaction of knowing all these kids that he never liked are dead. And well, the, the one he did like is a lot. Right. And there's the, there is the one scene where he actually goes out and finds her. Gives her an umbrella. Like gives she's, her an umbrella. Yeah, she's over the body of a kid who's been shot and is dying. And, you know, and they have a very kind of a pleasant conversation. And during that scene, we get the flashback of them you know, kind of looking at one another. And it's clear that he had, like I said, I don't think it's a sexual thing. I, I really do think it's just, he kind of hates everybody. And this is just the one person he doesn't hate. Right. And, and it's because she's just, she's such a nice person. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but they, they end up shooting him again, a bunch more. <laughs> Cause once is not enough. Right. Um, and then they're like, okay, well, it, we got to get out of here. And then he gets up again because his cell phone starts going off. And it's his shitty daughter. <laughs> and he he's like, yeah, I'm not coming home. All right. And then just tosses the phone. And then grabs the, the cookie that Noriko brought. Right, right. Or the cookies. And grabs the last one and is like, the last one. And he puts it in his mouth. And fucking dies. Doesn't yeah. doesn't eat it. Just has it in his mouth. He said, "Cookie sure were good," and then that was it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, just the fact that they blow him away, then the phone rings, and everybody's just quiet, and then he just gets up, right? And, and, and answered the phone. And when you're watching it, there's a moment there where you're like, "Were they shooting blanks and just didn't know it all along?" Because he, right. he's like. It's sort of like seeing a 40-year-old man like myself get up off the floor. It's just a little slow. <laughs> it's not like I've been shot a bunch. It's just like, oh, geez, there goes my knee. All yeah. right. All right. Okay. I'm good. I'm good. And and yeah. he just struts over to the couch and has a seat. And I was like, is he really shot? Oh, I guess he is because he just died. Sure yeah. as hell. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah. And, and so the last scene of the movie is... Our three survivors get on a boat and take off. Uh, Kadawa has been mortally wounded and then says, you know, I think I finally understand. After I met you, I understand what that thank you was about. It, you know, uh, and I think that's, uh, it's open to interpretation. I certainly have my views on, on what that last moment meant, but, right. um, and he basically says, Hey, you're going to have to point this boat straight. Eventually you're going to hit the mainland and you're never going to be able to, to stop running essentially. Like you're right. You know, you now that you have escaped this, you're uh, you're in trouble. And then we see a flash where it's um, a poster, a wanted poster for Shuya and Noriko, saying that they are wanted in the questioning of a murder. One assumes that is about you know Katano Sensei, and also, and at the very least, aiding a murderer who would be Kadawa, who is who has died at this point. 
And uh, although one moment I really like in in that Kadawa death scene is he's smoking. He like goes to the back of the boat and lays lays on the back deck and is just having a smoke as he's dying. Which, right. in fairness, kind of my move. I get it. I'm yeah. just like, you know what? Who cares? Right. Oh my god, die lung cancer? Fuck you. <laughs> um, so <laughs> he, yeah, he, I mean, might as well, yeah, this is it. Might as well go ahead and enjoy something. Right. Do you have any heroin? What can I try? Um, I don't have a lot of time left, but I'm willing to knock some stuff off the bucket list right now. Any of those cookies left? <laughs> Did he eat the last? He ate the last one, right? Oh, son of a. All right. Um, so yeah, because he said it after he got up, which was weird, and that's I was thinking about that, and I didn't hear him say the thing about the cookie. Um, so, but I, the moment I really like from that is he just you know as he's dying, he's like, ah, oh, for some reason I'm getting real sleepy. And then the cigarette falls out of his fingers and onto his leg, and it's Noriko who picks it up off his leg. It's like, oh, I don't want him. I don't want him to get burned um, as he's dying in front of us. Uh, but I think that's a nice moment, and it kind of shows you, like, you know what? She is actually a really nice person, right? Um, right. But uh, but the very last image that we see is um, Noriko and Shuya back in uh, Japan. Um, they have assumed. Costumes, I guess. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's basically baseball caps and clothing. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah, and and a butterfly knife. Yeah, and that's their have, weapon of choice. And they have a knife, but I do I genuinely love the end of this movie where it's it's sort of the narr- narration, right? Uh, that's like you know, remember in this life you ha- you're you're constantly fighting, and you know most people aren't aren't going to survive it. You have to run, and the last word of the of the movie repeated is run run yeah it's real good yeah yeah and there endeth the movie right uh well you get the class picture and a and a happy little ditty um but it is oh man oh and and, and this movie clocks in at right at two hours like it, right. it's not a short watch but man this thing flies by it does. There's so much going on, and without them showing you the stats, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, you don't see all 38, well, 35 deaths, I guess, but you see, uh, what, 15, 20? Bunch of them, man. Yeah. And it, it's hard to even keep it straight. I mean, from the moment that they that Shuya, as soon as he runs out, when he's got his package, you know, his backpack, and he runs out, you're going out with him. Everybody else has gone before, and you see him run out of the room, but you're following the main character. And, I mean, as soon as he walks out, like you said, there's a girl coming up with the arrow through her neck, and it's that instant, and from there on, you know, you have to have those stats because there's just too many being knocked off or suicide or, you know, it's 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 a lot to, to keep up with. So yeah, it, they did it brilliantly for that much carnage going on, that many people, and to make it fit within... Uh, hour and 45 minutes i mean you've maybe got 15 minutes at the beginning but from there on it's non-stop yeah yeah i mean this movie trucks along and and like i was saying it's not it's not like you have these like the movie definitely ratchets up the action at the end because it's a movie and that's what you do right but there's not a lot of downtime like once mm-hmm. you get started um you know on the island and even the stuff uh, like the you know all the girls kind of playing house in the lighthouse, um, you know that scene isn't terribly long, no. but you 
pretty quickly understand like what the situation is and who, who these girls are and what they're doing and what's going on. And you get just enough setup so that when all the shit goes down, you're like, oh, well, that was unexpected. And who knew that was going to ha- come next? But, um, you know, and again, this is one of those movies that it's your third or fourth or fifth viewing. Right. Where you know all the main details and and can start to concentrate on the little stuff like that. If anything, if there's anything that kind of slows it down a tad would be the fact you get several flashbacks of, you know, some character development that's going on, which I'm not saying is bad at all. You need it because you've got some main characters you focused around. But in the end, it doesn't really matter because, and that may be the setup too, because you expect these people to last a little longer. It's kind of like a, it's it's kind of like American Idol, you know the ones that are going to be there for a while because they went back to their home and did a backstory on them, right? So <laughs> right, and the other ones are just fodder. They're going to be knocked off as soon as possible, and that's kind of how you approach this movie. But you know, even the ones that have a backstory, eh, they don't last too long. So uh, that's kind of a different twist on it. Uh, but I find that fascinating because. It's the old Hitchcock thing of, you know, you can't kill off a main character in the first 20 minutes of a movie. Well, yes, I can. And, uh, you know, this, this thing, you never know really who the main character is because Shuya, even at the beginning with his, his father hanging himself and all this stuff that's going on. Ah, you just don't know where it's going. I think that's the beauty of it. Yeah. It, well, and, um, the girl who plays, uh, Chigusa, uh, who is Gogo, Chiaki Go-Go. Kuriyama. Yeah. yeah. Um, who is the runner in the movie. And, like, we haven't talked about her at all because she's not a major character in the movie, but you do get one of those flashback scenes. Yeah. And And they they build her up like she's going to be, you know? Yeah, yeah. And none of the flashback scenes last more than, what, two minutes? Yeah, they're not long at all, yeah. And so we get the story of, like, her and this kid that's always, you know, kind of bikes along to help her train because she's a runner, and then we understand, like, oh, no, he, he's got the hots for her and has probably talked some shit behind her back, throw, thrown a little smoke on the street about maybe they were they were an item. And she, and when they see each other on this island, she's like, hey, you know, first of all, what are you doing here? Second of all, uh, immediately the thing about him talking smack comes up. Right. And, you know, he's like, well, you know, you've never had sex. Maybe we should do that. And for his trouble, he gets stabbed in the dick. Yep. Stabbed That's in what the dick. Yeah. Is chasing after, her and she's like, I, "If you come at me, I'm I'm going to resist with every inch of me." Uh, is a quick paraphrase of the line, but it's pretty close. <laughs> and and the kid's like, "No, no, no, it's cool." And then you know it pops off, and she she has a knife. She gives him the two stab in the junk, and yep. then one in the chest. And, I, and she ends up dying very quickly afterwards. Right. But it is a great moment where, again, even these minor characters, we get enough backstory to understand, like, well, you know what? They're they're legitimately people. Like, they have their own lives and wishes and dreams and hopes and all that stuff. And because of this draconian law, you know, now they're just pitted against one another and have, have basically turned into a group of murderers because they, they have to. Yeah, it uh, kind of makes you kind makes you wonder about the book and if, how much development is actually in the characters in it. Does it run longer? Obviously, it would. I mean, it's 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 a book, but uh, maybe they just try to squeeze some of that in there. 
because maybe it was highlights of the book or whatever. But you know, I don't I don't know enough about the book. Uh, the book is fifteen thousand pages long, <laughs> and it, it tracks every character <laughs> up until the point that they reach the island. Uh, no, I, I don't know. I've, I haven't read the book either, but I'm I'm actually very curious to. And in, in fact, it was watching it this time where I started wondering. Like, I wonder how close this is, right? You know, yeah. because there there are definitely political statements being made in this movie, but yes, they're not. It's all subtext. I mean, some of it is is pretty obvious when you're dealing with like military folk and teachers who hate their kids and stuff like that. You know, it's like okay, I get it. That's authority. You know, smashing down the young people and mistrusting them and whatnot. Yeah. But you know, it's not it's not like this movie is didactic and and on a soapbox trying to tell you as the viewer how you should feel about something. It's just this story. Right. And and these characters and these kids. And, you know, I keep mentioning that word just to emphasize, like, no, no, no. Children get cut down in this movie. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you're seeing seven and eight-year-olds. But, what, 14 to 18 yeah. is all open game? it would be easier to murder teenagers on film. As we discuss Kenji Fukasaku's Battle Royale adapted from the novel by Koshun Takami, it's easier to view the film from the jaded perspective of viewers who have consumed shocking and disturbing imagery the way most people consume Sunny Delight. But Battle Royale sparked its share of controversy despite its immediate popularity. Before release, the film was rated R15 by the EIRIN, you may remember them from the previous episode on Koroneko, where they appeared, defining what was obscenity in Japanese film. They are self-regulating, like the MPAA here in the U.S., which means they don't answer to anybody. In the case of Battle Royale, the EIRIN decided that the movie should not be viewed by anyone under the age of 15. Director Fukasaku was stunned. He appealed the ruling, citing both the use of 15-year-old characters in the book and the age of his actors. But it was really Fukasaku's own experiences in World War II that defined his true objection. Fukasaku was 15 when he was sent to work at a munitions factory to fuel Japan's war effort in the 40s. Not just him, either. His entire class. Imagine if your entire freshman high school class was suddenly ordered to make sneakers. You and your parents alike would be livid, but it was a different time for Japan. In July of 1945, the munitions factory where Fukasaku worked with his classmates came under heavy artillery fire. When the smoke cleared, many of his classmates had been killed. Fukasaku and his surviving classmates were then instructed to dispose of the bodies of their fallen classmates. The experience rightfully haunted Fukasaku, and shaped his attitudes towards adults and the governments they established. No small wonder, then, that Battle Royale struck a deep, resonant chord with Fukasaku. So, flash forward to the year 2000. And Fukasaku is being told that children the same age he was when he had to lift the broken and bloody corpses of his classmates and dispose of their bodies should not see the violence of his new movie. His appeal is in, and he awaits the decision by the EIRIN. Enter the National Diet. No, it's not a way to manage your carbs. The Diet of Japan is their Congress, an elected body with two houses that's also responsible for appointing the Prime Minister of Japan. The National Diet, while the EIRIN was weighing Fukunaku's appeal, made a statement that Battle Royale was harmful to teenagers. 
They called it crude and tasteless when it was screened for Parliament, and it launched a debate over handling violence in the media by the government. Rather than incite more legislation from the Diet of Japan, Fukunaku withdrew his appeal. He did not, however, go completely quietly. He issued a statement recommending students who were the same age as the characters depicted in the film, stating, You can sneak in. I encourage you to do so. The entire uproar can be most closely compared to the same questions asked when Kubrick released A Clockwork Orange in the UK. It was that seismic a film and book. In fact, for 11 years following the release of the film in Japan, it had never seen an official release in North America. An American distributor said, In the US, it will never get past the MPAA ratings board, and if you cut it enough to get an R rating, there'll be nothing left. An early screening in the U.S. in 2000 was a disaster, largely attributed to the recent Columbine massacre that had occurred in the United States. Now it's available on streaming services and in some truly special editions, but its availability does nothing to water down the impact of the film, which still packs a punch over 15 years after its original release. It's a dark, violent treatise on distrust of government and authority and the ways the older generation visits horrors on the younger. And it's all because a 15-year-old boy saw his classmates killed by artillery in a Japanese munitions factory. And now, back to Ricky and more adolescent murder. Yeah. I gotta, I, I gotta ask you. When, yeah. when you walk away from this movie, having seen this movie, uh, I assume, a, a minimum of two times. Yeah. Uh, so, when, when you walk away from it, what is... What do you think is the central message of this film? And not to put you on the spot, but I also am going to need footnotes. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, the best, but definitely footnotes. Well, uh, gosh, I don't know. There's a, To me, there's a lot of emotions there. It's hard to tell if it's, you know, is it distrust of the system? You know, is the government low enough to let things like this happen because it's turning its back on its own people? So you create a system, but then the system decides what to do with you, makes you not important. And uh, at some level, it's a form of entertainment, I guess. Almost going back to maybe Gladiator days or something like sure. that of – you know, these, this is a bunch of no goods anyway, so let's just, you know, make it entertaining to watch them kill each other off. And uh, so there's something really disturbing about that because it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's the government at hand. Can they twist and turn things and make a situation like this versus is the situation really that bad? So, I mean, these are, these are high school kids. How bad can they be, you know? So to, to, to make it uh, this kind of system, now is it a system of setting it up to where you don't have these kind of problems anymore? Sure. You know, I always think of uh, what Sam Kinison said about the homeless people. He said, if you lined all the homeless people up and told them that in 24 hours they didn't have a job, you start shooting them in the head. He said, when you shoot that first one, you don't have to worry about homeless people anymore. He said, they will find a job. He said, so it's it's, you know, you're making the statement of, you know, that kind of situation of do you get rid of the problem by using an example, making an example of somebody. But this is an ongoing thing. I mean, it's it's something that, that you know, in this future tense of, of, you know, Japan, this is the way they do things, you know. Um, I don't know. It's pretty escalated. 
uh, as far as the movie itself, you know, it's entertaining. It's uh, for the time. Very yeah. gory. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, uh, to this day, I still think there are moments in that movie, like that that head explosion, is still pretty grisly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's really well done. I mean, to me, again, you see mo- movies that kind of copy this storyline to some degree, and some either really put it off well, or some don't, or some have you know. Let's go ahead and nudge, nudge a little bit. Some have the uh, financial backing. <laughs> To do yeah. as well too. So, uh, but there's something so original about this movie, and it's hard to pinpoint really what it is. I think it's just the whole thing. Plus, it's coming off the concept of it being from from a novel. So, um, I don't know. It's it's brilliant filmmaking. It's taking an extreme look at society, and where can it go? You know, where are we heading? You know, Soylent Green is made out of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's. There, a surprising lack, uh, at least in, in my searches, of like critical papers on this film. Um, there, you know, there are plenty of critical reviews because the movie, it, the movie came out in 2000, uh, right around the time right. of, you know, The Ring and Juan and stuff like that. And, and so sure, Japanese sure. cinema was all the rage and Battle Royale was this really different thing. Like it didn't have the creepy, uh, kind of kabuki style ghosts yeah. like you you see in those other right. movies. It's just like this balls to the wall weird action movie in which children are killing one another. And right, you can almost take what people are going back and analyze Night of the Living Dead to be, or what we look at Walking Dead now is we are the monster. You know, instead of it being a ghost or a you know some kind of spectral presence or whatever, or Godzilla even. We are the monster, and uh, that's scarier to me than anything else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I think the movie does a nice job of of playing that up. And you know, my own interpretation, uh, for what it's worth, uh, is not informed by anything critically. Really, it it is. Yeah, you know, a couple of times in the course of the film, there are, um, there are characters who talk about you know, what is the meaning of this thing or here right. is the meaning of this. You just need to run um, the, that sort of thing. And I think it ultimately, ultimately becomes a metaphor for just life at large in a way. Like it, it is certainly sure. heightened, you know, like the high school melodrama and all that stuff all of a sudden takes on mortal stakes. And there's right. that element. There is the element of uh, the Clockwork Orange style youth gone wild sure. and a culture afraid of right. that. Um, the only other layer I would put over the top of that is something we've talked about on the show uh, uh, just a ton to the point that listeners are probably upset about it. And sorry, listeners. Um, but it's the idea of a nation that is going through um, a bit of an identity crisis. And, and has been for a number of years. And so right. you have a youth that's kind of obsessed with uh, the West. You know, I mean, it's no surprise or, or no mystery that Japan, uh, especially youth culture, is really into Western and particularly American culture in a lot of ways. And you have the establishment uh, or society. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry, I had to do the quotes and everything, although that doesn't work on, on an audio podcast, it turns out. Um, <laughs> but but you have you have the, the larger society that is literally killing its youth in a, in a way to justify itself, you know, uh, just to put a, right. bit, a bit of a finer point on what you were saying. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I just think it's, there's a lot to unpack really, um, you know, whether it's, if you just want to look at it through the lens of, well, this is just the world of high school writ large and exaggerated, um, I think that interpretation is there. I, I think if you put an, an existentialist bent on things and say that, well, <laughs> uh, all right, and I'm going to apologize ahead of time for sounding a bit, uh, I believe the official word is foo-foo, but... Here we uh, go. <laughs> yep, buckle in, y'all. Bo's getting foo-foo. Um, so... You know, Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, a very famous existentialist philosopher, um, had had once said that, you know, basically uh, existence comes before essence. So that we are born before we have character. It, you know, if, you, if, if you're following along that far. So the, the idea of Battle Royale is a lot of characters at the point of discovering the essence of who they are. And that's kind of what high school and middle school and all that stuff is about, is figuring out just who the hell you are as a person. And suddenly their essence is warped by government. Because the government is telling them, no, no, you're not this person. You're this other person that's going to follow follow our rules. Um, and, and, And there's, you know, a hint of Lord of the Flies in there as well. Um, there's, sure. but there's a lot of stuff going on. Like, like, I don't think you can get away with the argument that this movie is not, it, it is shallow, I guess is what I'm getting at. Like this movie, there's plenty of stuff there. I, I think you would have to go back to, um, uh, almost said Fujiyama, but that is not the director's name. Um, it's, a uh, Fukusaku. Fuka... Kenshi Fukusaku. Yeah. And uh, it, quick shout out to uh, Kushan Takami, uh, who is the, the the gentleman who wrote the book. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I think that you can actually spend some time watching this movie and plucking at those threads. I think there are a lot of them. Um, I, I think that you know uh, Fukasaku would have to be the guy to tell you. You know, well, this is what I actually intended. Um, yeah. You know, he there he worked. Uh, Fukusaku did the director of the movie worked right. in a munitions factory in World War II when he was yeah. fifteen. Right. And uh, his entire class was, and that was one of the the impetuses, impetusi, impetusarum um, uh, of. <laughs> Him wanting to direct this book in particular, yeah, it it hit home. I mean, it 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 tied into you know taking taking your childhood away, basically taking your life away of life as you know it, and making it work for a different system. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean that's exactly right, um, and yeah, I, I like I think it's it, it it's subtextually rich as a movie. It's tremendously entertaining. Yeah. 
And it's, it, for my money, it is just one of the best examples of Asian cinema in general, not just Asian horror cinema. Um, because I, I do think it, it's one of those movies that you're along for the ride and you're so entertained that it's not until the end of the movie that you're like, hey, were they trying to teach me something? Right, right. Yeah, uh, that, and that's the the reviewing like we talked about. The more you start watching it, you start picking up on these things because, you know, it doesn't seem like a movie like this should have depth. And I think, you know, is the way to look at that is, you know, it should be just, hey, put a bunch of people island and it's a shoot 'em up kind of thing, you know. But uh, there's a lot more going on than that. And it may take you a viewing or two to kind of catch on to a lot of that because uh, the violence is violent, you know, and it kind of takes you away from a lot of the dialect that's going on. So, yeah. And, and I think that the, um, that repetition of the word run at the end of the movie, the fact that yeah. that's the last thing, um, right. you know, I, to me, that is the director essentially saying yeah. to, to young people, like get, get your shit together. Like adults are not trustworthy. They are going to, they're, they're going to lie to you. They're going to screw with you and you have to figure out how to navigate this world. Right. And no one else can do it. And I, and, and in that way, I think it's, Ultimately, very nihilistic. Like I said, you know, it, it does have weird parallels to Escape from New York in that it is just about a group, you know, in this case, a group of people in, in Escape from New York, it's Snake Plissken, but of, of being forced to enter into behavior that they never ordinarily would. Right. And, and trying to find a way through that. And, yeah. um, yeah, it's a great movie. But yeah. Before we wrap this up. We, we promised this earlier, and I think we need to talk about The Hunger Games. Okay. Um, I, we don't necessarily need to spend a long time uh, on this, but I, it's worth pointing out that this movie uh, was released in the, in the year of our Lord 2000. Yep. The first Hunger Games novel came out in 2008. Right. Um, I am not uh, a mathematician. <laughs> but that seems to be about eight years later. Yeah, here at Gleason it is. So okay, all right. So we're gonna, based on the evidence we have, we're going to assume that that is universal. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to insinuate that. Um, what's her name? Stephanie Collins. Collins, I know is the the, the right. I, don't, I can't remember her first name. I know her last yeah. name is Collins. Yeah. Um, Harper Collins, I think that's a publisher. Um, Joan Collins. Joan Collins wrote The Hunger Games <laughs> in 2008. <laughs> and uh, we're going to stick with that. Uh, it's all right. So here's the similarities. <laughs> Tell me if you've heard this before. <laughs> we take a group of young people. We put them in a remote location where they are trapped. They are given the rules that you have to murder each other until only one person is left. Uh, they are given some supplies at the beginning of their, uh, their game, if you will. Um, there are zones that periodically become dangerous. Uh, on a rotating schedule. And kind of the central character um, is a a female character who 
is maybe the most likable person in the movie and is just kind of caught up in the machinations of a government gone awry. Yeah. Sounds 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 pretty familiar, actually. Yeah. For you folks who's been listening for the past hour or so, it, it's exactly like Jaws 3D. Yes. Louis Gossett Jr. appears in both films. With a crossbow. With a crossbow. Uh, he was the one who, who killed Chagusa. Um, and and did it with style. Um, I remember seeing the trailer for Hunger Games when it came out. I didn't read the books, but I saw the trailer and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> you just described Battle Royale. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had the same reaction where I was like, you mean Battle Royale? Battle and, Royale. Yeah, and <laughs> Battle Royale with cheese. And <laughs> and that's kind of what Hunger Games is to me. Um, it's, you know, I've read all the, the Hunger Games books, actually, and I, and I actually quite like the third one. Um, I, I, I think they're all, in, you know, it, they're summertime reads. You can knock one out in two hours. It, they're not heavy books or anything. Yeah. And But the third one, I think, is actually really interesting and has something to say about how government treats its heroes, um, which again is not necessarily dissimilar from uh, a movie called Battle Royale, which we were discussing on this very show. Right. Um, I yeah, I don't know. Like, you want to believe that it's just serendipity that there was something in the zeitgeist that said, you know, hey, we're at a, a period of of sort of cultural upheaval. It's the turn of the century, and young people are behaving in ways that makes uh, authority in general nervous. And and both of these movies kind of are, you know, the books and movies uh, kind of spring whole cloth completely independently of one another. The yeah. thing that makes that a question mark, though, is just the fact that let's assume it took Joan Collins th- three years to write the first Hunger Games book. <laughs> That still means there were five years where Battle Royale as a film existed, and the novel existed right uh, before that. Uh, uh, like it came it, only a year. It came out in ninety nine, but yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. It's really hard. But it's, like, it's it's so close, man. I mean, and that was the big argument. And I, I know a lot of people out there that's listening is, is because they know of this story and want to hear what we what we think about it, but. I even read today where, you know, they fought and fought to try to do an American version of it. And by the time they got around to doing it, the director or the person that was behind it, the producer, was saying it's pointless now because everybody will just think it's a ripoff of the Hunger Games. Yeah, yeah. Like, you might be able to get away with it now. Now that the Hunger Games saga is over, but yeah, yeah but I don't, I don't know though. I mean, I think everybody just say, ah, I mean, it would still be that same reaction because it's all a matter of what you've seen first. That's right. the name of the game. I mean, because we've all grown up with movies that we thought were incredible, and then we see a movie from 1920 and go, oh, <laughs> wait a minute, that idea was totally stolen from this movie. Yeah, it. Like I said, you you want to believe that there is no plagiarism taking place here. Yeah. But man, the similarities are so it's, close. There's, there's, the, I mean, there's, it's uncanny for that many things to be in a story and not be influenced very heavily by something. Yeah, you know? I, and I don't know that she's ever acknowledged 
battle royale as a thing. And in fact, the only thing I kind of remember, and I could just be making this up, was that she had said at some point that she had never seen that film. Um, but, and I'll tell you, here's the detail that gets me. It's not, it's not the, the kids killing each other and all that stuff. Like I can see that it's the zone thing. That's the right. one that's like, Oh yeah, man, that's yeah. such a specific, that's, that's way too close. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's not like, well, you know, the, the main character is a girl and you know, there's a dystopian society and all that stuff. Like, yeah, I could, there's sure. plenty of that yeah. stuff out there, Yeah, but and that, and that may be the pitch of what made a difference because it it wasn't it wasn't just Japan, okay? So more futuristic, I guess. You're dealing with nations, I guess. So is that the twist that makes it different? I right. I don't know, man. From day one, I I just said it was a ripoff. So maybe yeah. Joan Collins' The Hunger Games is a weird sequel. Like a, a sequel to Battle Royale that just takes place like two hundred years in the future. Yeah, yeah, uh, I don't. It's 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 mind boggling because you got the people that would argue till the sun goes down that you know no, it's totally different. You know, here's here's what's different about it. Well, that's fine, but you know, at the same time, there's you know all these basic concept ideas are identical. And we right. just happen to be quite a few years before that. So, well, if somebody comes up to you or myself and says, "Hey, have you seen that movie where it's all those kids fighting each other to the death?" We're gonna think Battle Royale, right? Ninety percent of people you run into are gonna say the Hunger Hunger Games. Games right? Yeah. So I think you're right. I think it's like who? What did you see first? And if you yeah. haven't seen. But the thing is, if you haven't seen Battle Royale and have seen The Hunger Games, I still think you come away thinking Battle Royale is the superior movie. I, I would hope so. I mean, because it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I love Jennifer Lawrence like the rest of the internet does. But, you know, Hunger Games is okay as a movie. It's not great. It's okay. Yeah. It's pretty. But... I don't recall anyone getting three crossbow bolts in the first 30 minutes of it. Yeah. And, and not to mention the, the movie opens with a damn stabbing. Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, and it's not just for the violence. I just think it, it's kind of what I want to say. It, it, it's sort of what I wish more zombie movies were about, which is, okay, there's a zombie apocalypse. Now let's see how all these different people deal with it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that's a really interesting idea. And that's kind of the whole movie Battle Royale, which is here are all these kids that have different motives and are coming from different places and react to this situation very differently. Right. And let's see how that works out for them. You know, spoiler, in most cases, horribly. <laughs> um, but it, it's such a fun... It, one of the reasons I think the movie moves along so quickly is that... Every scene as it ends gives you something to chew on mentally. Right. right. But you don't have time for that because another th scene is already happening and more shit is going on. And again, just the fact of you haven't seen it before. This was the first movie that showed you anything like this. And yeah. that's why it stands out so strongly. Now it's kind of old hat. We've seen it done several times now in different different scenarios i mean you know we've we've seen our again escape from new york could be the same concept if you twisted a thing here and there you know instead of it being about going and saving the president you know you put all the bad guys together and let them fight it out 
that kind of scenario. Uh, a little dash of Running Man in there or whatever. But this is the first movie that, you know, that did it this way. And now we just see copycats of it all the time. Maze Runner, all these things are all derivatives of Battle Royale. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, whether they know it or not. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, uh, even if yeah, even if you're unaware of where the influence came from, you know, these are the ones that did it first and still did it best. Ah, uh, man, Ricky, you are so fun. You blow my mind. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think you're right. I, I have nothing to add to, uh, to that other than to support you both morally and, and spiritually. Um, anything else before we wrap this one up? Man, I just, I, I almost hate to close the show because then we're not talking about Battle Royale anymore and Battle Royale is a great movie. I know. I, I really thought that I wouldn't get a chance to talk about this one. I couldn't believe that I, I beat somebody else to the punch because it was, it was really kind of the first one that came to mind. Um, uh, of course, I knew that, you know, with the label of the show, I didn't know if it was really going to qualify because it's not necessarily a horror movie. Uh, but it works, man. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful flick. Well, and we're big 10 on this show, uh, Ricky Martin. We will allow, <laughs> <laughs> we will allow, uh, a movie in which, uh, you know, teenage Japanese schoolgirls kill each other with size. We still consider that horror here. <laughs> We're old-fashioned that way. Well, okay. Yeah. Here on the old Hero Hero Go show. <laughs> um, well, man, thanks so much. Uh, hey, it's a blast. You were you're just one of the my favorite people ever to talk to about movies. All right. Um, cool. So that's Battle Royale, ladies and jelly spoons. Uh, a bizarre and wonderful movie about the murder of school children. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So one more time, thanks uh, to Ricky Morgan for uh, for joining me in this cinematic fight to the death. And a reminder to please, for the love of God, check out the Helming Power Hour uh, right here on LegionPodcast.com. Uh, where else can they find the show? Because they need to. Uh, you can go to iTunes. We're on Tumblr, Instagram. Now with Google Play. Google Play and Stitcher. St- we're Stitcher too. I haven't even checked that out yet. All right, you will be on Stitcher soon. We'll Yay. make that happen. All right. And Twitter, and we're also starting up a YouTube channel as well. And uh, so there's going to be some inter- interesting things going on there. And, yeah. uh, so look, looking forward to all that stuff. It, you know, I and I say this all the time to people who come on the show and they plug their shows. And they say, like, hey, I have this show. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's a good show. People should listen to it. This time, people, I'm serious. <laughs> a lot of times. A lot of times, no, no, like everybody that's been on the show, I can recommend their shows. But, but seriously, Helming Power Hour is a, is a show that I dearly love, and not just because I've been on it. I mean, I had a blast being on there. Uh, it was great. Um, that yeah, that was incredibly fun. Uh, yeah. Because again, where do you get a chance to talk about Excalibur on, on right. podcast these days? Um, listen to every episode. Uh, eh, a caveat for ones featuring Duncan McLeish. <laughs> I, I knew mean, that was coming. <laughs> I, I would say if you if there's an edit available and, and uh, Ricky, if I may, you should make this available as uh, as an option is to listen to those episodes with either uh, an overdub of someone you know, kind of the Italian voice actor uh, uh, reading Duncan's lines over <laughs> the top of him, uh, or maybe just a transcript. What about uh, we get Garrett Morris from Saturday Night Live to do the. <laughs> For the for the hearing impaired, <laughs> right, right. Braveheart is great. 
He said Braveheart sucks. <laughs> Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Yeah, uh, so good. Uh, yeah, but but listen to the show. That's the the ultimate point, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to Helming Power Hour. Get it get get it wherever you can, however you can. You you got to go to an island and kill a bunch of Japanese kids. You do that to listen to this show. Uh, appreciate that, man. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. That's how I ended up listening to it. Um, <laughs> So it is, but it's it's a great way to get all nostalgic about uh, some of the seminal films of the past. Uh, yeah. To to plug the next episode of this show, though, next week we are going to be looking at Ichi the Killer oh. with uh, one Andy Blockley. Uh, you may have heard him associated with Duncan McLeish again. Duncan will not be here. You're fine. You can come back and listen to that episode. You will not hear Duncan on it. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't wait till he hears this. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so, so much for listening. Uh, Ricky, say goodnight. Good night and have a bliss <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> All right, folks, this is as much band made as I can legally play for you. Good night. <laughs>